0: Welcome to Heart Shaped Pod, a Nirvana fan podcast, with your hosts, Adam Todd Brown and Travis Clark.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Heart Shaped Pod. I am Adam Todd Brown. I remain Travis fucking Clark. Travis fucking Clark. Mm-hmm. I think you better recognize, motherfuckers. pa Blah, blah. <laughs> Shots fired, I guess. Weird. There
0: they are. Whoa. Getting closer every oh, time. They're wow. oh, getting closer every time. All right, and coming up next, we got Hey, we in Tacoma <laughs> right now? Oh wait. Hey. Welcome to the morning zoo crew. Uh, call him up later, we're gonna get a call from sleeping Bob Rick. He lives in a sleeping bob, which is where I say sleeping bag when my brain gets funny. Sleeping Bob. <laughs> Sleeping Bobrick. He's such a great great morning zoo character. <laughs> so
1: how have you been? <laughs> I've been all right. I Apparently screamed that at you. <laughs> you <did>. Travis! <laughs>
0: I'm fine. Adam, I'm fine. How
1: Every, are you? Everything's working out the way
0: I planned. <laughs> uh, no, I'm good. Things are good. I've been um uh busy, which busy is good. Uh and uh
1: yeah. yeah how about you? I have also been Really good. Also busy doing a lot of podcast stuff. Oh, do you you, you podcast? That's awesome. I do so much so much podcast things for the Unpops Podcast Network. Plug, plug, plug. If you're only listening to this because you're a Nirvana fan, (laughs) but you're also a podcast fan, obviously. So maybe you should uh, head over to patreon.com slash Unpops and see what else we got to offer. It's all really cheap, but all really
0: good. Yeah, and uh, I think I show up on some of the other shows. So if you're a huge fan of me...
1: It's all very yeah, incestuous, right? It's,
0: it's all very incestuousitis. In-
1: yeah, incestus. Yeah.
0: No, fine. I'm gonna go back incestidious. to
1: incestidious.
0: There it is. Oh my god, I love that movie. Yeah, <laughs> Where that guy goes into like the dream world and touches his right. Kid. right. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> dream world. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Nice defense, buddy.
0: <laughs> hey, there's no law in dreams. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? We are finally talking about. The Making of Bleach, which we've been threatening to do for several episodes.
1: Right. And uh, it it's uh, it's a story. I actually thought there was more to the recording, but there's mo- there's a lot around the recording that's really interesting. Yeah. As with everything,
0: once you start to peel back the layers that you know, you're like, good Lord, guys, what, what are you doing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's going on here, <laughs> fellas? I get that you're angsty. I get it. That's what we're trying to sell. But my God, guys- Take it down a notch. Yeah, just a notch. Just, just a notch. Just one. If this were something you were seeing on like TV, you'd be like, eh, tone it down to a believable level. Right. You know, you right. go, this is not, characters wouldn't act like this. Yeah. Uh, un- unless it was apparently 1988, 89.
1: Pretty much every meeting Nirvana ever had with a major label or executive. Is a story that could be its own separate podcast. It's also
0: seems like they watched Spinal Tap as a like, and that's how we're supposed to be. Yeah, you know, like yeah, that's yeah. that's real, and that's what a band is supposed to be like.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a thing. Uh, I w- we're gonna we skip over, or I don't think I put it in the notes. But at one point in the Heavier Than Heaven book, they mention that Chris's job in the band. I mean, obviously, bass player, and he was mm. a band member, but. He was also the one who could recognize the difference between something that was awesome and something that was just kind of like kitschy and not really that substantial and great. The giant man who
0: likes to urinate on cars? Exactly, That was his role? That (laughs) That was was (laughs) his role.
1: There's uh, a story in that book. I I forget who tells it, but he talks about uh, going over to Kurt's house one day, and this is in the late 80s and uh kurt's like man i got this album you really need to hear it's like the perfect pop album uh i I think you'll really like it and the guy comes over and sits down and kurt pulls out the knacks first album okay and this guy's like is he joking i fucking know who the knack are this is a fine (laughs) pop album from the 70s but and he said kurt puts it on and is just engrossed in it like it's the most revelatory thing he's ever heard. And this guy's just like, what the fuck, dude, this is the knack. It's my Sharona.
0: And he was never, like he had just discovered it. Was that the guy? Yeah. Of oh, okay. yeah. He had
1: just discovered, he called it a perfect pop album. He apparently also was a huge ABBA fan. Yes. Yes. That's a, that's, that's a documented thing, but ABBA was so great.
0: Oh, I'm not, I'm not, uh, yeah, not yeah. defending ABBA. I, I also enjoy an ABBA, uh, Song or album, <laughs> they're great. They're one of was just you wouldn't think of the guy who writes "Moist Vagina" to also be the right. guy who's like, you know, in "Super Trooper" or "Dancing Queen" or any of those things. It yeah. just doesn't seem like they would they would have an overlap.
1: Yeah, he had a, a lot of that. That's a thing that comes up a lot throughout his career and in you know interviews and things. Is he had a lot of really divergent musical tastes, mm-hmm. and it. It was a good thing to some extent, but there were you kind of get the sense that there was some shame to it, too.
0: Yeah, there is that dumb, dumb punk rock guilt stuff that we yeah, talked about before. Yeah. You can't like this thing because it's popular. And you can't like a band once they become popular. You can only like right. them when they're struggling and no one knows who they are. I've always had, hated that.
1: Yeah. Always. That's It's no way to treat your bands. It's, yeah, it's no
0: way to be... I don't know. I mean, I guess... I guess I can understand it when it's this thing that's like, it's precious to you because not everybody else knows about it, and right. you feel like you've had this experience with them before they became gigantic or whatever, and then when they become something that everyone knows, it's like, you fuckers didn't earn the fandom that I have. I was there when they were no one. You know? right. It's more about that person than the band,
1: I feel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's always. This is
0: Travis, uh, psychoanalyzing <laughs> fandom. <laughs> write me at don'twriteme.com.
1: <laughs> So we're gonna talk. When we last left off, they had just played this uh, show at the K Dorm in Olympia, which I don't think we ever bothered figuring out if that was like a college dorm or did like K oh, Records have a dorm, right? Or, or was
0: that the name of a, a place? You know, like yeah, a, like a yeah, what they would now call a pop up venue. Like, is right. that just? Yeah, we coming up to K-Dorm. Like, it was like a Circle K that was abandoned, and they just, like, played yeah. inside of that. I don't know.
1: We had someone from Seattle here last week. We could week. have asked we him. We could have run it by him. You know, and we have a guest next week who we can probably run it by. And I'll bet he'll we know. Won't, well, we won't, know. We, we know. won't. Well, you know, we won't. You know, we'll forget. Yeah. But they play this great show at the K-Dorm that gets them all this uh, attention locally. They get a write-up in the rocket. Uh, a positive review. That's the
0: fucking paper to get in. I mean, that's is. like the third time we've talked about this yeah.
1: paper. And someone in the comments did say it's like a Seattle Weekly magazine. Uh, so okay. it would be bigger than like your local Olympia so or Tacoma was, It wasn't thing.
0: just there. It was kind of the right. The, gotcha.
1: And once it's like a Seattle thing, I assume it's like all the cool towns right. probably get it too. So fine, the not Rocket, the, not the Aberdeen Gazette. Yeah, it's, you win yeah, yeah. this time, the <laughs> Rocket. Uh, the love buzz single sells out. They make no money, but how that sounds impressive, you know. You sold it does out your first single, right? Uh, on top of all this, Sub Pop decides to include a remixed version of Spank Through mm. on their Sub Pop 200 collection, which was their most high-profile release up to that point. Travis, the band is on a roll. Yes, it sounds like things are coming together for our boys. Things are looking up. Jonathan Poneman even approaches Kurt about recording an entire album. This is what Kurt has been begging for. Right. To the point that he has been sending people letters saying, I will pay for this myself. Right. So Uh, he's
0: willing to make a sacrifice. I just want you to
1: put that out. Uh, He did not send those letters to Sub Pop. But the guy running Sub Pop absolutely knows Kurt will pay for this himself. (laughs) So uh, he approaches Kurt about uh, putting out an album, but says, uh, yeah, you're going to have to pay for the cost up front Uh, by yourself. (laughs) Oh, good old showbiz. Yeah. yep, That's great. Uh, I put in the notes that this is contrary to how most labels work. It is. You find out. Yeah. Most labels
0: pay you to when they decide they want to sign you. Uh, Very few say, hey. Give us money and or a real company,
1: right? Yeah. Right, uh, and it was also contrary to the way Sub Pop operated at the time. Uh, but yeah, he just—I uh, guess Jonathan Poneman—they say just kind of could sense it that well, Kurt was like that hungry and.
0: But if Kurt had mailed out all of those letters to you know what, uh, Invisible and Touch and Go and
1: SST, yeah. S- yeah,
0: Sub Pop is in that realm now. Like they're trying to be a record label. Also, those guys got to talk to each other, right? Or, or yeah, it, you or would this, think. Is this before we were all texting and and I mean, I,
1: well yeah, I, that could be. I well, don't know. But I, I mean, there must be like a phone call that you could be like, hey, you? I would, I would. But and I imagine there was a lot of working together, right? That, I, like Nirvana can't be the first Seattle band Steve Albini worked with, no. And I would you, assume
0: it, Soundgarden was on SST's roster at yeah. this point, so word clearly, clearly word got out. Word people knew people yeah. would have there was a crossover, yeah. So, Kurt. So, I think they must have said, hey, this guy is so desperate, he'll pay for it. And he was like, perfect. <laughs> Got him. Just what I need. <laughs> Come here, old Aberdeen Rube.
1: I will sign <laughs> you to my label. So, they, but they still don't actually sign him. They just say they'll put an album out. Oh, my God. It's <laughs> the worst. But, but good enough for Kurt because he, he's, uh, he's in is that oh i hear it now was that the whole time or did it just start no i think it just oh. all right uh so yeah kurt kurt decides good deal we're gonna put an album out they make plans to go into the studio with jack and dino at the end of december 1988 so now kurt does the thing that he he does throughout his career where now that he's got something new to focus on, he hates the thing he just put out. Yeah,
0: that is, uh, that's just creative types, am I right? Like, that's just, that's the trope that you just run into with creative types.
1: Yeah, I wrote a weekly Cracked column, or even with these podcasts. Like, I, I put stuff out every week, and I don't think there's ever been a point in my career where I haven't thought back to what I was doing six months ago and thought, that was trash, like, I'm sure. so much better now.
0: I think the same.
1: Yeah, and it's like... It's about my stuff,
0: not... I wasn't... I'm was making it <laughs> clear. About my my own things, not you. I wasn't bashing you. I was actually talking <laughs> yeah. about you, <laughs> Oh, <laughs> thank you. That's good.
1: Yeah, good. good. But, but yeah, you can relate. It's like when you put a bunch of stuff out, like you... You have to assume, or like I would hope everyone who does that regularly feels like they're getting better at it from doing it. Right. So it's probably kind of a natural reaction.
0: Yeah, because uh, this is what I realized recently. I found these journals from when I was 18 years old, and I thought they'd be really funny to like poke fun at. And then I read them, and I was like, these are better, that no one ever saw these. This is terrible. And what I realized is, one, I was 18, so what the fuck did I know? Right. Secondly... uh, as you get better, as you, like you're saying, when you're looking back at something with like more skill level, you go, "Well, here's what I was lacking back then." That's why it becomes embarrassing because you're like, yeah. "I could have done that better now, but I did this then." And don't judge. You know, that's why I think yeah. Lucas goes and fucking puts a new Jar Jar Binks in every episode of whatever he does, like right? It's just, yeah. Luke, how much better? No, you were better, but when you weren't better, <laughs> you would stick yeah. to. It, you know,
1: it's it's a, it's really easy to overthink stuff like that. Yeah, and really pick out the flaws in it after it goes up.
0: We're not always our own best judges, you know, right? Because I would argue, Love Buzz is fucking awesome, dude.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't think that we even mentioned that the it's the Love Buzz single we're talking about. That right. Kurt just uh, decides he's completely over it. He uh, he had talked to Slim Moon about it, who you might remember from a previous story where. Uh, the They were the opening act, and Nirvana was closing, Ugh. and the band gets in a fight on stage, oh, and they- <laughs> someone talks the police into letting Nirvana still play after this. Slim Moon was the guy who got punched in that fight. Oh, Slim Moon. Slim. And uh, he, this is a quote, Kurt didn't like anything about it except the fact that they now had something that was out. And Kurt sent a copy of the single to John Perky, who... Okay. No, just dis- no, no, uh, no description of who John Perky oh, yeah. is oh, in the go- notes. Good job, Adam. Oh, all right. Who is John Perky? Yeah, you know John Perky. Oh, the Perk. Oh, the, the Perk.
0: The Perk. Per- oh my God! You just add him, and the party and right, up. Yeah, right. he's the
1: guy. It starts bubbling right away. Uh huh. Yep. Uh, he included when Kurt sent a copy to this guy. This is the note he included. Here's our very commercialized rock star, stupid, fuzzy. Sub pop picture sleeve, limited edition single featuring Kurt Cobain on front and back. I'm glad only a thousand were printed. The LP will be different. Very different. Aurora production and raunchier songs. It's like, calm down. Love Buzz was a really cool single. And when I saw this, it reminded me of there was this weird
0: trend that went on and it carried on until the mid 90s that having your photo on something meant you were a fucking sellout. It yeah, meant that yeah. you would like you were this like being commercialized and trying to be. There was this weird hatred towards being a rock star. Yet right. these people all wanted to be rock stars. Right. So I was friends with these guys, a hardcore band called Man Is the Bastard. Worth checking out if you like that kind of stuff. It's a great name, Uh, and yeah, and it just—I mean—creepy, weird. They had a B-side called "65 uh, Banjo Amp Burning," (laughs) which was literally a 1965 banjo amp that caught on fire while they were recording, and they just let it record for a while. Nice. Yeah, they went—they went hard, but they ended up doing like one of these picture disc things or picture sleeve things. And then instantly everyone's like, oh, man, he's He's fucking sellout. And I went, they live in the same room. There's no way they're <laughs> sellouts. <laughs> because they had their because picture they had on their their picture disc? Disc. Yes. It's ridiculous.
1: Yeah. Ridiculous. It's, it's, it's insane. And uh, yeah, again, this is going to be a recurring theme with Kurt Cobain. Pretty much every release that comes out uh, all the way up to In Utero. Uh, he didn't have as much to say about the MTV Unplugged album. Because he was dead. Okay, okay,
0: okay he was he not around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. given some. Oh my god, can you imagine fifty year old Kurt being like, uh, "That wasn't like really the way I wanted those songs to sound."
1: You know who Kurt would be at this point. He would be well on his way to being Neil Young. basically. You think so? Yeah, that's kind of how Neil Young is. Like Neil. Like, have you ever? Uh, they did like a documentary just about MTV Unplugged, not about the Nirvana Unplugged, right? But about it in general. And they talk about Neil Young's MTV Unplugged. And the first time he recorded it, the producer was like, the songs were great. He played most of them two or three times because he was very unhappy with it. But that just meant we had you know, two or three, in my opinion, really great takes of each song, and we were going to be able to put together this really great MTV Unplugged. And Neil calls us the next day and goes, don't put that out. Don't put any of it out. I want to come do it again. And he just shows up and blows through like, an hour and delivers an even better performance. Holy shit. And he was just it's that exact thing. He was just like, I wasn't feeling it. It wasn't like, it didn't feel right to me. And like, I could see Kurt kind of, like, he he already was that way. Right. And I could just see him being like a cantankerous kind of withdrawn older rock star who just sort of does whatever the fuck he wants.
0: Kind of an Elvis Costello-y kind of thing yeah, too. Yeah, sure, yeah. Sure, I could see that.
1: That kind of thing. But, uh, yeah he so he he starts shitting on the love buzz which single. is what is what's propelling them forward at this point, right, or at least propelling him in forward the way that he wanted, yeah right, yeah. yeah, I mean it was you know he wanted albums like multiple albums right, right away, but that's not how most bands. Do it, especially not back then. Yeah,
0: well, especially not now, where it's like you make like you would make a love buzz and you're done. You know, you would put that up on iTunes and you would just collect money if people bought it. Right Uh, now, I mean, people make records for themselves. (laughs) Yeah, people really make records (laughs) for
1: any other reason at this point. Certainly not to make money. Right. Uh, So let's uh, let's talk about about a girl. Yeah, this is. uh, Yeah. This is the this is the the stretch of time where Kurt writes the song, which was a completely different song for Nirvana at the time. Sure.
0: And one of those songs that you go like, you know, once you discover it as as I have with all of these songs, you go like, Oh, I've put some meaning behind it. And then you learn the real shit and you go, Oh man. <laughs> 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 I liked my story better.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, here, here's the story. So Kurt uh, is still in a relationship with Tracy Miranda at this point. And-
0: Seenster on the scene, girl. Yeah, right? like kind yeah. of all, all throughout. But the- also
1: super stable. Like has a job. Breaks right. up with him, uh, bringing a zoo home and all his turtles, <laughs> right. and things like that.
0: Yeah, we stole a zoo, as a, as it was called.
1: <laughs> he did not buy those animals. That would be a great Kurt Cobain. <laughs> yeah. I want to see a Kurt Kobe movie just about that house with those fucking turtles. Sure. That would be great. <laughs> so uh, he, at one point, like th- their relationship hits a rough patch. He feels like she uh, kind of smothers him, even mm. though she's gone at work all day and he's just home chilling. Uh, he at one point literally says, you shouldn't love me so much, which that's a bad sign. Right.
0: I've also been that guy. Oh yeah, that's just your way of saying like I don't feel the same way. Yeah, you know, you're you're trying to. It the man does not like confrontation. We learned that about yeah. him coming up, yeah. and we also learned that about him in the past. That's his way of saying I want to break up with you, but I don't know how.
1: But did he? Because that I mean, this is like they they stay together for a long time after this.
0: Look, I dated my first girlfriend for five years, not because I loved her, but because I was like, well, I tricked one.
1: Like I don't,
0: <laughs> I don't know if I have it in me to do this again. You know?
1: Yeah. So they, they're, they're fighting all the time at this point, especially over housework. Mm-hmm. Tracy works all day. She leaves Kurt to-do lists. He mostly doesn't do them. He just watches TV and plays guitar all day. Instead, my man, my man. <laughs> <laughs> this is a sample note that Tracy leaves. Kurt, hi, Kurt. I'll be home at 2.30 or 3. Before you turn on the TV, could you straighten up the bedroom? You could fold my clothes and put them in my drawer or just inside the closet on the left. Put fresh newspapers down. Shake the rugs in the bathroom in the kitchen. Clean the tub and sink and toilet. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm a nag and a bitch lately. I love you. Let's get drunk, semi, and fuck tonight. Love you. Are you reading my journals? (laughs) Are you?
0: This feels too familiar. She's trying so hard. She is trying so hard. Yeah, yeah. That is a letter of someone saying, I just need you to participate in this also.
1: Right, right. And uh, he does not. He does not. <laughs> he, is... he does not participate. He. Uh, she threatens to break up with him. Just kind. She didn't want to break up. She just kind of wanted to test his commitment. Sure. And he says, cool, I'll go live in a car. Great. Doesn't That's... even say my car. Just a, a car. car. Sure. I'll find a car yeah. to live in. There's the, so many. Yeah. I've
0: lived under a bridge, allegedly. <laughs> uh, I will go live in a car. I'm going to write a song called A Car. <laughs> about a car. About a car. I uh, uh, need an easy sedan. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> I would check out that song. I would, I'd like, give it a listen. <laughs> so uh, they don't break up. They stay together. Uh, but she also complains that he's written songs about everything else but her. And this is a line from his journal: "I would love to write a pretty song for her, even though I have no right to speak for her." So that that sounds smooth, and it also sounds weird. like
0: he's trying to be like, "See, see what a sensitive feminist I am." Yeah, I don't yeah. even want to speak for her. I will not do the dishes. I will <laughs> not help out around the house, but I will
1: not speak for her. That's something I will not do. Yeah, he's. So, Kurt's being an asshole. Yeah, a little Kurt's bit. Kurt's being a huge piece of shit.
0: And also, too, what is he, twenty two,
1: twenty three 23 at this yeah. point? I mean. Which makes this next quote from his journal uh, all the weirder. Uh, this apparently is also about Tracy. I gesture and grunt for your affection, wielding my flippers in a windmill circle. My bib is soiled with lost attempts to contact you through saliva communication. Drivel drying to my chest. What? Ah, uh, heroin.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and was he even doing heroin by this point? I don't know, but that is not...
1: I don't know what that Probably is. Probably acid. Maybe. Was the was the grocery strike still happening? He still, <laughs> <Right>? couldn't, buy, <laughs> still couldn't buy beer? <laughs> so he had to switch to acid? Sure. That's just the logical substitution. It just lasted his whole career. Right. And he stuck yeah. with it through, out of solidarity I mean, it alone. makes sense
0: about the flippers. If you look down and you're like, <laughs> well, I got
1: flippers! I got flipper hands. Oh, God. Palletamide,
0: baby. I feel like I'm surrounded by turtles, because you're surrounded by turtles. <laughs> they're in your house. They're in
1: your. They're in a tub, and they're shitting through holes that you drilled. And by this time, they also have multiple cats and dogs. Oh, of course they do. And a rabbit named Stew. St- oh, I get it. I get <laughs> it. Rabbit Stew. I get it. <laughs> Good one, Kurt. Yeah,
0: It's a little bit of a uh, fatal attraction thing yeah. going on there. Yeah. I get
1: you little wordplay. Oh, Kurt. So uh, after all this, Kurt does finally write about a girl. And uh, the, the line, I can't see you every night for free, is a direct reference to their argument about cleaning. But when she asks if it's about her, he says, I just write what comes in my head. And I don't write anything about you or anyone else. Quit being an asshole! He is the most
0: passive-aggressive. Such I, yes. a shit. Jesus Christ, man. Like uh, that is uh, look, I'm a passive aggressive guy. I will subtweet somebody till endless. Oh yeah, life. for sure. Look, I attacked Ricky Lake on Twitter for three years for cutting in front of me to get an ice cream cone. That seems reasonable. Right, to right. To it's me. Sure, for three years, totally reasonable. But my God, that's too far. That's a bridge too far for me.
1: That is. Yeah. That is. Uh but you know, at least a good song comes of it. True. But again, it was a song and- that, like
0: I, you know I made my own meanings to like I can't see you every night for free. Like meaning like, oh, the the cost that you have to pay for a relationship and what it really means to like try and get together with something like No, yeah. I didn't know it meant like I don't want to do the dishes.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm not in the mood to fold your laundry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's so crazy. That's weird. Yeah, the uh but what a great song. He said that he wrote it after listening to Meet the Beatles all day long. Okay. And that he did that to get in the mood for writing that song because he knew he wanted to write like a a, uh, upbeat pop song, upbeat pop song. Yeah, well, and it was it was you know completely different from what they were doing at the time. Love Buzz was kind of poppy, but not like, but it wasn't their song. It was right, their interpretation
0: right. of that song. Yeah, and about a girl. I mean, I am thinking back now to talking about MTV Unplugged. You know, he opened. That's how they open yeah. that show. Yeah, and they open it with "This is off our first album." Most people don't own it. Right, and clearly that song even though it was passive aggressive still meant something to him all those years later.
1: Yeah, I think I think if nothing else he just recognized it was a really good song. Or
0: he was trying to move some units on the back end, you know, yeah. where he was like, you know, we probably uh, know, yeah. <laughs> we've, We got a big platform here. Let's get the back catalog moving too. <laughs> all works out for Curdy.
1: Curdy <laughs> gets paid either way. He's just lighting cigars with 10 dollar bills. These will be 20s soon. Oh, Kurt. <laughs>
0: He's lighting them with the Do sleeve. Do not let the
1: Melvin see this.
0: <laughs> He's lighting cigars with the picture sleeve from the <laughs> fucking Love Buzz. He's like, Mwah. yep, these are paying off good now. <laughs> it's
1: worth $5,000 now. <laughs> oh, I light Lord. my cigars with it.
0: Because that's the only thing it's good for. <laughs> so embarrassed
1: by this. So at some point, uh, the band does finally get a contract. And it happens in the The usual Nirvana way <laughs> when it comes to dealing with business matters. Sure, uh, it starts with Kurt ordering the book "All You Need to Know About the Music Business" from his local library.
0: Perfect. Already I perfect. Mean, start gr- going ahead. Per, you know, <laughs> although I do love that, like a 2010ish uh, Kurt Cobain would just download it onto his Kindle and kind of you For know sure, start scrolling yeah. through it that just way. Pirate it. Yeah,
1: It'd be a big scandal. Someone <laughs> would find out. Call out culture. <laughs> he never really owned that book. He pirated it. <laughs> he uh, So he orders this book and immediately becomes suspicious of Sub Pop ah! and how they're dealing with the band. And he decides they need a contract. And the band decides to handle it in the most professional manner possible. Oh, cool. And I am just joking. God damn it. What happens instead is the next week, Chris drives to Seattle uh, just for his sake, I, I wrote drives to Seattle, then gets drunk, sure, that's, uh, yeah. but We're, I'm pretty sure he was just getting hammered on his way down, right. uh, shows up at Bruce Pavitt's door. The co-owner of sub pop, uh, starts pounding on the door, yelling, you fuckers. We want a contract ah, just
0: because you're paranoid. <laughs> don't mean they're gonna sign you, <laughs> but they do. What? They do. It works. I would say Chris Novoselic coming at me and drunk or sober, pounding and demanding something. Like you just go, that's a Sequoia demanding that I do something. I'm right. just gonna do it. Right. He is he a th-
1: whole mountain of yes. a man. Yes. Yeah. Gigantic. Uh so they, they draft a contract that was to go into effect January first of the next year. Calls for three albums over three years. That okay. is a frantic pace. Sure. Uh they'd be paid six thousand for the first, twelve thousand for the second. Twenty four thousand for the third. Is that good? I have no idea. It but feels not it, like, it doesn't feel good.
0: It doesn't feel great. Not even in for, nineteen. Yeah, even in nineteen eighty eight dollars, and to have to do an album every
1: year. Yeah, that
0: seems uh, aggressive.
1: At that point, they were a four piece, so it's fifteen hundred dollars per band member, minus what Kurt pay, <laughs> right. pays to record the album.
0: And I know for a fact Kurt didn't split it uh, down the middle. No, no, he he took sixty, and everybody else got uh, twenty and twenty. I think is what it was. Or he got... yeah,
1: which even then was kind of generous, right. Because the Nirvana, in a lot of ways, was like a Smashing Pumpkins situation where sure, just one man
0: screaming, yeah, one man screaming <laughs> and telling
1: people exactly how to play their parts. That's why I think "Smells Like Teen Spirit," "Heart Shaped Box," and like "Scentless Apprentice" are all credited to. Cobain, Grohl, Nova Selleck. And the rest are mostly just credited Disc- to Kurt Cobain. Oh,
0: interesting. Yeah. Real quick. I have a, uh, Nope. A, all right. Thank you. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a quick smashing pumpkin story. I'm in anytime I think of them. I, this is what I think of. Yeah. And I love Siamese dream. I love that era of smashing pumpkins. And that's how good that record is because I fucking hate Billy Corgan. Yeah. Yeah. Billy Corgan at the height of their fame, uh, this is this is passed down i don't i have no idea if this is a true story but it feels true he uh he would always stay above the rest of the band when like in a hotel he oh, would yeah? book you know he'd be two floors above them and uh so what they, the
1: fuck because
0: they have to come up to see me i'm above them that was his way, like that carried Ugh. all the way to how he booked hotel rooms
1: Ugh, that's yeah that's gross yep 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 yeah, that that's that's bad times. Yeah. And he whines about why they don't get more respect now. It's because
0: no one liked you. Yeah, because you yeah. kind of were difficult. Have you heard your voice? Yeah.
1: Like, I think not... one of my
0: favorite things someone said about him is that uh, Billy Corgan doesn't uh, sing, he tells on people.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. <laughs> that seems pretty accurate. <laughs> so the band does finally get their contract. Yay! 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 And on Christmas Eve, 1988, they drive to Seattle to record their first album. Oh. They spend the night at the house of a guy named Jason Everman, a friend of Chad's. Uh, Kurt still has not written lyrics. Oh, I think I left uh, notes out of here. Maybe not. Uh, yeah, they spend the night at the house of a guy named Jason Everman. Keep a note of that name. Yeah, keep write that one down. Uh, Kurt still hasn't written lyrics, so he stays up all night. Doing that,
0: yeah, yeah, fuck deadlines, yeah, my man. I used to, I wrote every cracked <laughs> column like the night before.
1: I finished one of my biggest columns, is one I wrote about Trump way early on in his campaign. I finished that 45 minutes after it went up on the site. Oh my god, it was up, and I was still going in and like secretly <laughs> editing things and adding pictures. It's it, yeah, I, I, I understand that There's, completely.
0: I, I understand it, one, but also, I will argue that there is some kind of creative process that goes into forcing yourself into having something done quickly. That if you spend oh, yeah. too much time on it, you can actually get in your own way. And if you kind of, not that you should do this every time, but getting out of the way and being like, this has to be done like right fucking oh, now. Oh, for sure. It, it, can be a really useful tool to getting something done.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: It can also be the worst work you've ever done. Yeah. It's a real fucking straight edge that you're I walking. I mean, if you yeah. if you
1: can't, like the best thing, if you're writing something long, like uh, the best thing to do is finish it before it's due and then sleep on it a day. Right. And then wake up first thing in the morning and look at it again. And
0: tweak it and tweak it yeah, and tweak yeah. it and tweak it and tweak it and tweak it.
1: Or just write it with three hours left. Until, yeah. Right, you right go, you know what? I got to
0: have this novel done in an hour. <laughs>
1: let's let's get moving here that was a very audible knuckle crack thank you i was
0: saving it for that moment
1: that was that was
0: good yeah i'm my own sound effects machine
1: (laughs) (laughs) so they kurt stays up writing lyrics which this is a thing that he does throughout their their time as a band also like smells like teen spirit he talked about all the time he wrote those lyrics like right before they started recording so they wrote a lot of that album
0: in the studio too, right? yeah Yeah. because they
1: just had like basic tracks for it and uh so they arrive the next day. They work deep into the night and lay down basic tracks for 10 songs. Kurt hates them all. Of course he does. Except for one, Blue, mm. which that's a great fucking song. It's also what opens the album. Yeah, opening song on the album. And I did know this, that that bass sound in the beginning, they they got that really deep, muddy bass sound because Chris was already tuned to drop and didn't realize it and tuned down a step lower. And then when he went to play the song, they were like, what is that? But it sounded so good, they just left it. Wow. So that's why that bass line is so dark and muddy sounding.
0: And then it adjusts though, right? Like they just keep that or do they all no, tune No, they down? keep
1: it. It plays that way through the whole song. I think they all tune oh, down. Oh, cool. Because it, like, all, like Kurt's guitar sounds really like different mm-hmm. on that too. And I think he just tuned down to- Go along with it, hey man. When in doubt, tune down. Yep. Uh, the The lyrics don't really mean anything, but this is another, uh, a, another you know, example of him using words that don't necessarily mean what you might think they do to really convey a certain emotion. You know, I grew up
0: idolizing this guy, thinking that he knew something I didn't, thinking that he had this <laughs> ability to like you know, profess pain in a way that uh, that I couldn't at the time. And he's just a dude who didn't really like his girlfriend and hated doing chores. <laughs> so maybe I wasn't wrong. Maybe I was like, I can relate to you. I feel the same. Yeah. I hate
1: that shit. Yeah, I think he, I wonder if he made like a conscious effort to make the music kind of be evocative of a certain emotion. I don't know, because I get what they're saying with with Blue. It does come off as like a kind of a really hopeless song. Sure. Like, like it's it's kind of pretty much all over, and we're just heading toward the end now, and you kind of get that sense. But then when you really analyze the lyrics, it's like, what's he talking about?
0: I think that's one of the unintentional geniuses of Kurt Cobain. Yeah, is that he is, whether it's because it's a time crunch, whether it's because he's trying to convey an emotion that's personal but trying to make it more broad. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's an interesting choice. I feel that he makes. Yeah, and he makes things that are very personal broad enough that they can mean something to you and that you can make your own assumption about them or your own interpretation. That is the, I would say the true, oh man, this is going to sound a little too new agey. That's the true soul of an artist to me yeah, is to find yeah. a way to expand that idea of, even if it's something as dumb as, uh, I hate doing my chores and right, my girlfriend right. is kind of nagging me and I don't care for it, but you get about a girl out of it. Like, yeah. That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, that's pretty
1: great. Yeah. And that was a thing Michael Stipe was really great at. And Michael Stipe was a huge influence on right. Kurt. He
0: wanted to go that direction, of yeah. what I remember him saying one of his last interviews.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they had studio time booked. What? At the time Kurt Cobain died, yeah.
0: Oh man, they would have been like the the Stipe Cobain project or what Yeah, that. it would've,
1: <laughs> would've sounded like REM with a fuzz box, <laughs> right? Yeah, like or that.
0: early REM as it's yeah. sometimes known. Yeah,
1: yeah, early REM was so good. Yeah, they're one of those bands that really, before they got on a major label, really was their best stuff. Sure.
0: Well, I yes, I would. But I I like their progression. I didn't follow it all the way through. Yeah, but yeah. I think they did interesting stuff. The whole oh yeah, time. for yeah. sure.
1: Uh, so the band uh they they get the unmixed album, they listen to it six times in a row. On the drive back to Aberdeen. That is
0: such a... Uh uh, I I have memories of like the couple of shitty bands I was in that never went anywhere. Yeah. Anytime we had a recording, we'd drive around and listen to it, and it's like <laughs> you're so excited by it. And there's something about this idea of when I hear it in the car on my car speakers, like and yeah, I see it on the roads that I'm familiar with. Like that's when I'll know if it's good or not, and I'll I can get a real feel for it. Yeah. It's just uh it just reminds me of that, and it's always too. It's you're always again your worst critic. Yeah. Because you're either going like we fucking nailed it, bro, and like no, you didn't nail it you did not nail it or or you, oh, just, did is, it. Yeah. you just did it yeah just did it this didn't is nail it this is fucking bullshit this is a bunch <laughs> of corporate bu- we're just probably
1: gonna put our picture on it. fucking stupid <laughs> stupid picture got my picture on the front and the back gross <laughs> uh so they they get back to aberdeen at 1 30 in the morning on christmas day mm. kurt uh gets dropped off at wendy's house And for Christmas, he gives everyone in the family a copy of the Love Buzz single, because Kurt's that guy. You there, boy. What day is it? Why, sir? It's grunge Christmas Day. (laughs) Give me your finest Love Buzz single. (laughs) Distribute them through the community like Christmas turkeys. Oh, Kurt. Tiny Tim would have a withered marked arm. That's what he would have.
0: the buzz
1: (laughs) so sleeping bob are you in there (laughs) so uh he gives everyone a copy of the love buzz single wendy plays it on the home stereo oh god she is not impressed oh and tells kurt he needs something else to fall back on
0: why are you like this wendy wendy every time you fucking dream
1: killer jesus you know this is why people don't like spending time with you you got the family Camaro and the divorce. Yeah. What else do you want? You know what you should have
0: been. <laughs> should have been a son. So on. Oh, no. Wendy's the mom.
1: Yeah. Wendy's oh, the mom. Oh, fucking Wendy. Yeah. Kim is the sister. She's I'm sorry. sorry. I She's got, cool.
0: I got my Lady Cobain's confused.
1: <laughs> Lady Cobain's. That'd be a uh, good band name. Sure.
0: Lady Cobain <laughs> here at the Grunge Keep.
1: So on December 28th, they returned to Seattle to play the Sub Pop 200 show. It's their first time receiving equal billing with other sub pop bands. And they uh, are also back there to finish their album. After 30 hours in the studio, the album's done. Kurt decides to call it, drum roll please, Too Many Humans! Nope! Don't do it, Kurt. Uh, why are you doing this? Don't call it
0: that. Look, Kurt, there's no wrong ideas in brainstorming, uh, but I feel I love the angsty uh, enthusiasm you have. I feel we can do better. I feel we can do better.
1: We'll put that on the board. What else do you have? So luckily, heroin's a huge problem in San Francisco (laughs) at this time. Of course. And in February, the band's driving through San Francisco, and they see an AIDS prevention poster with the phrase, bleach your works on it. Mm. And Kurt decides the album will be called Bleach instead. Way to save the day, AIDS epidemic. Pa- another
0: win in the column for AIDS. <laughs> you know, I always thought Bleach had something to do with like needles and all yeah. of that stuff. So I'm a great detective. I <laughs>
1: nailed it. You win, Travis. I got it. I'm like Batman. I'm like a I'm like a angsty Batman. <laughs> so. uh now they, they, they embark on their, their first tour. Not their first major tour, but this is their first real tour. They haven't played outside of their circle of influence at this right, point, right? Right, right. Yeah. And they go on a tour. Uh, that, throughout 89, they play more than 100 shows. And up to this point, they had only played 20. So that is a
0: 500% increase.
1: That is a yeah. step up in production yeah, for Sure. sure. And the first tour is a disaster. Well, that they're, sounds right. Because <laughs> they're, they're, they're touring on the strength of a single that was limited to a thousand copies. Right. So the chances of that producing big crowds in far off lands, very slim.
0: Right. I mean, when you spread a thousand fans <laughs> over a great distance, they're not all coalescing each night right, for the show. Right. Yeah.
1: No Reddit meetups back right, then. Right, right. Uh, so at one point, they do a show in San Francisco opening for the Melvins, That's, where yep. Kurt is completely bummed to find out the Melvins aren't huge outside of Seattle. Like, why would they be huger outside of Seattle, yeah. Kurt?
0: There is that weird thing about show business where your idea of what the, your idols are to yeah. other people, and then you see them and you go, oh, <laughs> oh, no. I remember I met a guy once who... Uh, um was a big touring, mu- mu- not a magician, he's a musician. Sure. He might have done magic, I don't know. But I saw him, and like I kind of creeped him out. I was like, your poster's on my wall, it was above my bed. He was like, I- okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I was like, how come you guys never uh, tour more? And he goes, because I can only get two weeks off uh, at a time from my pizza delivery job. And I went, <laughs> oh. no, 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 you don't understand. I own all your records, and I have your photo <laughs> above my bed. So you're successful. He goes, <laughs> No, I uh, I deliver pizzas, and then two weeks out of the year,
1: I go and I play shows. Wow! And I was like,
0: "Oh, that's terrible." Yeah, that that's feels awful.
1: Really depressing. Yeah, but welcome to the entertainment business, everybody. Hey, yeah,
0: when people go, "Who's your favorite comic?" and you, I always name like people. I'm like, "Oh, these are like big name people." People. Yeah, oh, I love Kyle Kinane. Who is he? He's the voice of Comedy Central. <laughs> I'm giving you. I'm not giving you the deep cuts. I'm giving you the accessible yeah, things. Exactly. Yeah. Uh,
1: so this first tour. Uh, th- there's no crowds they're broke they do this show opening for the Melvins they're so broke the band between them their entire entourage does not have enough money to even like split a burrito between them that is rough. That's fucking broke. And I'll tell you, uh,
0: I've done some shows in San Francisco. The burritos there are not expensive. Right? <laughs> yeah, they yeah. are. There's affordable Food's burritos. The only
1: thing that's not expensive <laughs> right. in San Francisco.
0: You could get, I'm gonna say, a burrito probably back then for like two bucks. Yeah, yeah. You know, and like a good burrito.
1: Right. Yeah. And but this, they're they're like that kind of broke where you just look around and you're like, we might have to live here now. Like we can't. Right. Get, we, we can't get out of here. Can't get back. <laughs> we. we uh, <laughs> We live in the hate now. And that's when uh, Nirvana became a San Francisco band. (laughs) Uh, So someone suggests they go to a local soup kitchen. Oh, man. Which, that's harsh. Sure. Everyone eats except Kurt, who just stares at his bowl, depressed. I'm sensing a theme with the man. There is, yeah, there is a theme.
0: I will say, uh, soup is the saddest meal. Even
1: if it's like good soup, it it's is. still
0: just the sad. It's just hot liquid. You know, that's not. Yeah, that's
1: just enough to keep you going. Yeah, it's like water that something fell into. <laughs> yeah, but just in a really harmonious way. Hopefully, on purpose. Right. Yeah. Exactly. We're hoping we timed this right. Yeah. That these are
0: ingredients that go <laughs> well together.
1: So uh, that that's their first tour. They'll they'll we'll get to another. Ah, oh, the old soup days, big tour. Yeah. yeah old soup and salad days so uh that spring the band adds jason everman as a second guitarist oh i've heard this name before briefly making them a four-piece nice uh he had been in other bands previously and ingratiated himself to the band by loaning kurt the six hundred dollars to pay the recording bill for bleach what a good guy i believe
0: i believe before nirvana he was in Soundgarden. Oh, was he? Yeah, he was briefly in Soundgarden for a while. Either before or after, I can't remember the timeline, but he was he was in another Seattle band that would go on to quite success as
1: well. So the on on the back of the Bleach album cover, I'm trying to to find the exact wording. For one thing, you'll see Jason Everman listed as being on a part of the band. Isn't he on the photo as well or am I He's not. Yeah, he's on the the photo also. And, oh, it's not on here. Maybe if I just... Because if I remember correctly, that black and white photo that is the cover of Bleach, or at least
0: the major re-release of Bleach, he, he's the guy who's in the... It was a live photo when he was still in the band, right? Right. All right, okay. So he's the dark-haired guy that's kind of bent over and kind of major pulling focus in the photo, if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah, the one who's... who's uh, He's on the right yeah. in in the, the Bleach cover photo. And now I can't find the back cover of Bleach to tell you exactly how much the recording cost. It was like
0: $600 and 17 cents. Like there was a weird. You're very close. Am I?
1: $606 and 17 cents.
0: I was off by $6. I think I would still win both showcases
1: showdowns. I think you would. Yeah. yeah I think I would. Did yeah. not
0: go over. I did not go over. And I was within a hundred dollars.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so he gets added to the band. Uh, he's listed on the, the album cover and in the photos, but he doesn't play on the, the album. Right. He's not. He never records with the band or no. at least not anything that's released. Also, never gets repaid, which <sighs> I feel like there was a like, even at some point, it could have just been a sentimental gesture. Yeah. Where Kurt's like, oh, we're the biggest band in the world now. How about I hit that Everman with 600 bucks that I owe? Or
0: how about I hit him with. 10 times the amount yeah and just gonna yeah. go here you go dude. but
1: i do wonder if just being listed on the album does that get him royalty i think i i swear i read one of them i don't know the the
0: the uh entertainment law enough but if he's not listed as a um writer
1: of the songs my understanding is he doesn't get anything oh because i know Ch- i think it's chad channing still makes decent sure because Nirvana he's, royalties. Because
0: he's the drummer on that record.
1: Right. And he's got uh, I think he's he plays drums on the album version of Polly by Nevermind. Or, or, or Never he at Mind, least wrote I some think. of those
0: drum parts yeah. that, like that that Dave just learned when, when he joined the band. Yeah. So
1: uh, Jason's Everman
0: story is crazy if you don't oh. know the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, I, mean that, I mean that could almost be its own episode I feel
1: at some yeah. point. Yeah. We should try and get him on an episode. You know he's a uh, special forces guy now oh yeah yeah he's like a trained ranger he's a uh, he's an assassin so we should just break into his house absolutely and that'll impress well, him yeah he will love it he'll be like oh my god how did you get the oh, drop on me god i love it when fans drop into my house unexpected <laughs> can i come do your podcast yeah. and we'll go
0: yes absolutely please remove your bayonet from my throat
1: <laughs> it's very painful so we'll still get him it's fine
0: yeah so Jason, hit me up on Twitter, bro. We'll have you on. I'm that, sure he'll
1: I'm sure. <laughs> everyone tweet at Jason Everman. Get him on get him on the podcast. Don't do that. So uh June 19 June 9th, 1989. The band plays Lame Fest in Seattle, and this is the debut of Bleach. They print up a thousand copies to sell exclusively at the festival. And is a thousand just like sub pops like yeah, their go to amount? It it seems like it must be because that that's like what all of their limited edition stuff seems to be.
0: Also, too, I guess you're going like, well, I mean, Love Buzz sold a thousand. There's no need to write <laughs> to go yeah. get more. This band hasn't grown incrementally yet. This yeah. is their first record. Let's just
1: make the same as the single and see what happens. That is true. So they uh, they put this out. For we'll, we'll take a quick sidebar here. I think we've mentioned this before, but this first version of Love Buzz that they put or of Bleach that they put out. Uh, if you can find a lame fest version of Bleach, that's worth like five grand. Wow! Like you, you will you will make some cash, but there are also a bunch of they they kept re releasing it. Like that's what these smaller labels do. Like I'm way into the Coat Hangers, uh, which is this Atlanta punk band. And oh, yeah,
0: yeah. I've seen their stuff in your, uh, in yeah, your place. I fucking yeah. love them.
1: And their label will just every once in a while release like a different colored vinyl pressing of one of their earlier albums and just do like a 500, you know, print run of it. And Sub Pop did that a bunch for Bleach. And if you can find some of those early Sub Pop Bleach uh, albums, uh, there's one, the, the, most valuable one is the red marble version, besides the... do those age well. What do you mean, the-, the... The the colored
0: vinyl. Like, I feel like... I don't know. It's no. going to get cloudy and weird? Does the color change?
1: Yeah, it, I'm not cause, sure. Because
0: people always make, like, really cool vinyls now. they be like, transparent oh, yeah. with, like, you know, purple sparkles. And you're like, oh, that looks awesome. Yeah. Now, what does it look like in 20 years? Right. You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. The... Uh, but that red marble version, twenty five hundred dollars last time I came across one on eBay. They didn't make an all white one? They had to make an all white one. I right? think the lame fest version was all right. white. Because it's bleached. Right. Right? Ah. Huh? <laughs> all huh? right? There it yeah, is. About that. But uh, pretty much any of these limited pressings of Bleach from around this time, they worked with a company called Erica Records. If you see Erica Records, oh yeah, mentioned with on a K, right? The, yeah, yeah. If you see that on the label of a Bleach, uh, a copy of Bleach in its colored vinyl and it's reasonably priced, buy it. Buy that shit. Buy all of them because those are even like even those. They're only worth like four and five hundred each, but. You get enough of them. If you get the drop on a record store owner who doesn't know his shit, sure. And you see one for $25, 30 bucks, pick that up and that slip it you're on You're going to double your money. You're at least at least <laughs> at yeah at
0: least. I had a buddy who uh, he collects whiskey because that's a thing you can do. Oh sure yeah. And uh, he walked into this uh, uh, the equivalent of a record store, which I believe would call a liquor store if you're collecting right, whiskey. Right. And they had this bottle, this really rare whiskey that uh, they only made like twenty five hundred bottles of and they had it for just a dumb amount of money so he bought it and then he looked it up in the i was in the, I was in the car with him he looked it up and went i'm going to go buy the other one they're they're way underselling this oh really and he came back in and the guy just goes what do you know <laughs> <laughs> did he still sell it to him he still sold it to him but they were nice. like
1: they didn't want to how much did he pay for him he paid you
0: know? like 250 a bottle they're
1: worth close to 1000 wow yeah that's crazy yeah my grandfather used to collect Jack Daniel's makes all these commemorative bottles that are in like the shape of shit and what yeah he had like they would be in like race cars president's faces uh like he had i think four or five hundred of them in the basement of the the house i grew up in uh just lining the walls he just collected them
0: yeah this is what my buddy does because i was like "Well, when are you gonna drink this he goes oh never and i went yeah yeah no." See, I, I love collecting things. I love having the rare thing that other people are like, how did you get that? And you go, oh, I found it, or oh, I spent right. all the money on it. But then I want to use it. Like, well, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, you, already, you already made money on it. You sell the other one. You're going to make your money back and drink that one. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, oh, I would never do it. It's too valuable.
1: Yeah, if you got two, drink one. Yeah. No, he's not going to do that. Fine. So... <laughs> Around this time, uh, you know who would have drank Chris Novoselic would have drank the whole thing and then peed
0: on something. Right, and, he and been like Pete refilled yeah. the bottle. He <laughs> sold yeah. it back to the.
1: I would return this. <laughs> <laughs> so around this time, Sub Pop makes a really uh, smart decision. They fly in a bunch of UK music writers for uh, a holiday in Seattle. Oh, holiday, like
0: what they call a vacation in England. Yes. I, I, thought, was, I thought we were still around Christmas at the time.
1: No, so no. So it's, no. Uh, I get you. Yeah. yeah. For, for a British vacation. Mm. And uh, almost overnight, the, the Seattle music scene is huge in the UK.
0: Well, grunge was one of our biggest exports. So it was, it, you know, yeah. it really propped up the angst economy. <laughs>
1: uh, so in turn, it starts to get bigger in Seattle. Uh, This is Kurt writing in his journal about why the scene blew up when it did. Lots of flattering hype from multiple occupational English journalists (laughs) catapulted the sub-pop regime into instant fame. Just add water or hype. Kurt would have hated social media. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He would have
0: hated it.
1: Yeah. Uh, English writer Everett True described the scene as such. You're talking about four guys who, if they weren't doing this, Would be working in a supermarket or lumberyard or fixing cars. And uh, those were jobs that Kurt's dad had two of them. Buzz's dad had one of them. (laughs) He forgot to leave
0: out the part that they could just be watching TV, not doing dishes and having a bathtub full of turtles. (laughs) It's also an option. Um, I think it's funny, though, that the guy nailed it, but nailed what their parents did. Like, yeah, these slackers didn't have jobs. They're just out doing the wattage in the yeah. cottage. They're not uh, <laughs> not doing any work. God, I want to hear wattage <laughs> in the cottage so
1: bad. Someone get that onto the bootleg market, please. Uh, so bleach starts getting radio play and positive reviews. Blue. School, Floyd the Barber, and Love Buzz all become staples on college radio nationwide. All solid. Floyd songs. the Barber. Yep. Weird choice. I'd say so too. That is a dark,
0: dark, dark song. I love that song. Though. It's really good. It yeah. was one of my, I thought, more underappreciated songs. Yeah. That uh when we did the obscure the obscure, obscure songs. So, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a good, good tune. So with all this happening, the band takes off for what's their first major tour. Uh this is June 1989. Mm-hmm. They pack up Chris's van for their first tour, a scheduled two-month trip across the United States. That's
0: a that's some real deal tour. That's a no, long fucking no. tour. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: they bring along their new uh, shirts to sell as merch, and uh, I wonder what an original one of these sells for wow. on eBay now. But these are the shirts that say Nirvana. Fudge packing crack smoke and Satan worshipping motherfuckers. Oh,
0: uh, I used to have one of those. Not one of the originals, but like when they kind of got bigger, they kind of made this shirt again.
1: Yeah. Uh
0: and I tried to wear it to my Catholic school where I was uh Oh sure. You know, we had sure. a f- every now and then we had to wear uh usually we had to wear uniforms, but every now and then we'd have a free dress day. Oh and nice I was like I'm gonna wear this shirt and uh no 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 I'm no? not <laughs> no that was not allowed. Weird. Ah, uh, so uh um, I believe if I remember correctly, I was told To take that shirt off, and it was confiscated, and uh, don't own it anymore. It's probably on eBay now. Uh, Yeah, someone found it in their closet. The dean of men,
1: Mister Doyle, probably cleaning up on my Nirvana shirt. What a piece of shit! God damn it! So Chris takes on the role of de facto manager and governs the van with a very hard set of rules. This I want to. I want to get on. I I I got questions about this. I do too. This is one of Chris's notes that was posted in the van no use of any gas corporation services besides exxon no exceptions this was three months after the exxon valdez oil spill what the fuck like they were the height of corporate irresponsibility yes and why like they don't explain that it's there's no it's just here's what chris said and finish reading the book adam yeah no explain to me why only exxon way to be on the wrong side of history chris yeah yeah what are you doing And what happens if you hit a gas station and you need gas and it's not an...
0: Somebody must have had an Exxon rewards card or must have been like, oh, like secretly he was having his parents pay for the gas or something. It had to be that.
1: Either that or he just hated seagulls. And that's also possible. I like, mean,
0: they probably perch on him because he's so giant. Yeah, <laughs> they're probably. He's like, we need to get rid of these fucking seagulls. <laughs> we need to get rid of all this sea life who thinks I'm some kind of like fucking floating device. I like what Exxon's doing. I like what <laughs> yeah. Exxon's doing with the problem. Let's support them. Ruining the environment. <laughs> lying about it. Having drunk people. Maybe he just likes drunk drivers. Maybe he just that loved drunk drivers. Yeah, He's like, I relate. That's how I drive the van. That's how he drives the boat. It's great. <laughs> I
1: get it. That could that could very well be. Yeah, and he's like, Look, the boat just peed all over something. I feel the same <laughs> way. It's what I do. So, also to save money on gas, they aren't allowed to run the AC, and no one's allowed to drive faster than seventy.
0: Rock and roll, baby! Oh,
1: <laughs> woo! <laughs>
0: no AC, and that's just keeping under the speed limit. Come on, we're not irresponsible. We're a band. <laughs>
1: Uh, Kurt is rarely allowed to drive because everyone thinks he drives like a little old lady.
0: Look, I've never seen Kurt Cobain drive, but that feels accurate. Yeah. yeah, That feels like he would be just like, all right, guys, just hands at 10 and 2, kind of slumped over and going like 30. No matter what the speed limit is, going 30.
1: Yeah. I remember reading someone's account of having seen Kurt Cobain in public, and he was writing a check for something. And they said seeing him write a check was absolutely like writing, like watching an old woman write a check. Like it yeah. was, he was just so like, w- where, "What do I sign? Yeah. Like, what do
0: I do? Hold on, I think I have coupons." <laughs>
1: oh, Kurt. Ah, Kurt. Just Venmo me. Didn't exist yet.
0: <laughs> Didn't exist.
1: So the audiences are still really small at this tour, and at every stop, they are dismayed to find Sub Pop's distribution is so shitty. Their album usually isn't even in stores. Even at Rhino Records in LA, they only find five copies. It's not bad. Yeah, five it's not copies terrible. not
0: bad. But again, I I have to keep reminding myself, Sub Pop is what two years old at this point? One, two years old. Like it's it's a new company as well. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. They're new to the game as well. We think of Sub Pop. They've now been around for a very long time. Right. You know. Now they have. Merge. Now they're everywhere. Yeah, yeah, you can get all kinds of stuff. They put out comedy records. They put out regular records. They got a shop in the Seattle uh, airport. Yeah. You forget at this point, they were just like, I guess we're a label. You know, they don't know what they're <laughs> yeah. doing. They're exactly they're finding their way. We got to get on Sub Pop. Make an album way, on Sub Pop. Can we do that? We'll do a comedy album? Sure. Why not? Let's, let's, let's figure it out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we need to go up to the Pacific Northwest, do a live show, knock on their door. Right. Oh, we need to mail them a letter. We want a contract. <laughs> <Yeah>. Hey, fuckers. <laughs> does this still work? Does it, yeah, still- does it still work? I can stand on stilts and piss on something. <laughs> That's the only
1: way I'll get this real Novacelic feel. <laughs> so this is one of my favorite stories from this this tour. At one point after a show in Washington, D.C., they pull behind a gas station to sleep. Mm-hmm. It's too hot to sleep in the van. So they all sleep outside on what they think is a strip of grass in a residential neighborhood. The next morning, they realized they'd been sleeping on a traffic median. Fantastic. Now look, that's a little bit on them,
0: okay? Uh, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, look, uh, I've I've had to do things similar to that, but you can tell when you're in the middle of the street. Yeah, you, you know. Would think so. It's either how dark was it? How dark and how rural and untraveled is this road? Like, yeah, you know, if if you're sleeping on the five, you know, like there's cars going <laughs> yeah. by. You know, this is. I feel this is like. Not ideal, but probably not a major, th-
1: you know. Yeah. Road. Right. It, I would hope not. It'd be crazy if they were just right. in the middle of a fucking highway. Uh, they also do a show at uh, at MIT at a fraternity uh, sure. around this time. And they do this show because they're it's going to be a smaller crowd, but they're getting more money. Oh, right. And, oh, those college kids have money. Yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. And Kurt throws a tantrum when they get there because he they say he he was literally laying on a uh, pool table, kicking his arms and legs, saying, we are better than this. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like, don't book the gig then. Yeah. Dude.
0: And by the way, I've played those shows, and I do know that feeling.
1: Yeah. Yeah you got to keep that shit to yourself. Yes. Because they're still yes. paying you. Right. Exactly. They're still paying you. and uh, But they end up having a really great show, even though the the, the name of the frat is written on bones <laughs> on the wall, and Chris takes that apart and hands the bones out. And everyone gets <laughs> mad and tells him to put it back together, and he does, and they have a really good show. So uh, <laughs> Kurt was Kurt was upset over nothing, and I'm sure everything's fine from here. Right. Except... Eventually, Kurt has a falling out with Jason, stemming from an incident where Jason brought a girl home after a show. I'm sorry, he did what? What kind of musician brings home women after a Are show? Are you telling me this young man, unthinkable,
0: wouldn't went play a show? And afterwards, a young woman showed some interest in him, and he followed through with that? unacceptable 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 I was, I, I
1: was lost for words
0: i, I was at believe, a loss yeah. for words i mean next you're going to tell me he's now using other gas stations than exxon <laughs>
1: unacceptable behavior in nirvana sir uh, so uh that's it he, he, br- he brings a girl home and that's literally it that like sends them spiraling toward confrontation that's the end of it because it was in kurt's mind being in a band for the aim of getting girls was, like, not a punk rock thing. Like, that's what the heavy metal guys do. Okay, hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kurt Cobain said this.
0: Yes, yes. Kurt Cobain, the, God, I really want to lose my virginity. God, I just want to fuck a girl. Hey, Kurt. Hey, Courtney Love is the best fuck on the planet. Right. That guy. That guy. Had that opinion about it. It must have been a girl he had a thing for, right? Yeah,
1: probably something like that. And uh, so this sets off, like, this triggers problems with Kurt and Jason and Kurt starts complaining about Jason's heavy metal hair sure and how he moves his head on stage even though Kurt does the exact same shit also w- has long hair at this time I
0: want to say I've seen Kurt Cobain from this this era photos of
1: him yeah
0: very long hair and wearing that you know biker leather jacket like he right, if you right. didn't know that he played in Nirvana you'd have been like Oh, that dude's a Hesher, which is what we called them back then. Right, right. That dude probably loves Maiden and is super into the fact that uh, Metallica's uh, Injustice for All is going to tour for the next two years. Right, That's right. what I would assume about that
1: guy. Yeah, and this was, you know, it was just a Dave Foster thing all over again, where Kurt's seeing something in himself in Jason Everman that he doesn't like, mm. and it- uh, it gets really ugly. At one point, he tells Jason to come up with guitar solos, yep. and then Jason does. And Kurt tells him he overstepped his boundaries and that this is Kurt's band and oh. that he shouldn't be shouldn't be uh, doing things like that. Which that's insane. That's also just the the whole like
0: again. I don't know how to break up with you, so I want to create a conflict. Like, go do this thing. Why did you do that thing? Now I can right. be mad at you over nothing. Right. Now I can be mad. Like, I did this once with my wife, where she called DirecTV, and I was mad that she called DirecTV. And she was like, I thought we wanted to get DirecTV. And I was like, but you didn't talk to me about it. Like, she was yeah. like, she finally went, went, I don't know what you're mad about. I don't know understand what's happening. Right. You know, but we're adults who've lived
1: together for a long time. So yeah. So that's not going to
0: happen with a couple of 23-year-olds in the back of a van.
1: Right. And uh, things really come to a head. They do a show at the New Music Seminar. Sonic Youth is in the crowd. Mm-hmm. They're, they're really excited. Uh, and a fight breaks out. I, th- I feel like I left this out of the notes. Oh, yes. Sure. And I was
0: like, this is new info. Yeah.
1: yeah. And uh, this is actually kind of a, a famous incident. This fight uh, breaks out. Basically, someone tries to come on stage a- in a, a really sort of aggressive way. And when they, they jump off stage, they take a swing at someone. And Jason Everman, depending on who you believe either jumped into the crowd and chased the guy or someone pushed him off the stage. Oh. And either way, he ends up kind of fighting this guy out in the crowd. And Kurt's like, fuck, this is the new music seminar. Uh, this is it. We're done as a band. Uh, we're done with Jason. But he doesn't tell him. He only tells Chris. And right, <laughs> here's the thing. He, he only tells Chris, doesn't tell Chad or... Uh, Jason. Oh, right, because we're we're still growless at this point. Right, right, right. Yeah, 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 Still yeah. no Dave Grohl. So, uh, he only tells Chris that he wants Jason out of the band. And the way he tells the rest of the band that Jason is out of the band is to just tell them that the rest of the tour is canceled and we have to go home. This happened in New York, Travis. They drove home from New oh. York after that <laughs> in three days. They make the drive from New York to Seattle in. Three days, don't say a fucking word the entire time. Like, if I was Chris, I would have been out of the band then for putting me through an awkward three day drive in a van with no air conditioning in the summer with a dude you just fired but didn't tell. They drove faster than 70 if they got back in three days. Yeah, (laughs) I'm telling you, I've
0: done that drive. You can't do it going 70 miles. Yeah, it took me 10 days when I did it. Uh, So what do they do with the rest of the shows? They canceled the... Sh- they they really- just
1: cancel the rest of the shows. They had two two weeks of shows left. They canceled the shows. See, I thought they were going to do the thing where
0: they go like, oh, the band's breaking up, and then they quote-unquote break up, and then once Jason's back in Seattle, well, they, they, do- they reform and then go back and finish the tour.
1: Well, they did stay together, and Kurt at one point hires a booker to rebook the shows that they canceled. They yep. just don't bring Jason with them that time, and from then on, they're just a three-piece until very near the end
0: very, yeah not until uh, till the yeah. till the smear gets yeah, yeah, the yeah, scene yeah. yeah
1: and uh that's so so that's where where we'll leave off with uh them driving sullenly from New York to Seattle on a
0: 3-day silent van trip on a <laughs> silent van trip <laughs> in the heat
1: with no one knowing anything about why the tour was canceled oh,
0: and i love that really that is a van full of 50% of nirvana that will not be in nirvana soon Right. That right. is yeah. a band that is on the it's really strange that they're the two constant constants, Kristen and uh Kurt. Yeah. Yeah. They're the only two that stay through the whole thing. Right. Everybody else is like this revolving door spinal tappy removing, yeah. you know, new drummer and uh I guess we don't need another guitar player guy. And Jason ends up having like you should guys should look up the Jason Everman
1: uh, story. Like, yeah, uh, we could, we'll do it. We'll do an episode. About yeah, because you've told me some some it's stuff about so it. So nuts. Seems really interesting. Yeah, yeah. We'll it, do it. Yeah, get off my back, Travis. I'm not I'm talking about Jason. Listen, we need to take a drive
0: uh, for three days. Yeah, and we're I'm, going to New York. I'm not saying a damn word. <laughs> I'm not, and look, I have a couple of requests. Exxon only.
1: Sure. Well, come on. I'm not a monster. Okay.
0: You don't even have to ask Exxon mobile? Is that okay? Because okay? okay. they're the same company. Well, Hash, it. yeah, all right. We'll cool. hash it and
1: uh, don't go over seventy. Uh, I can't drive sixty-five. Oh,
0: there's only one way to rock. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we just devolve into Sammy Hagar <laughs> lyrics, uh, and of course, I do require uh, actually only air conditioning. That's that's my one caveat that I would. I was going to buy
1: it. an extra one to plug into the cigarette lighter <laughs> as well. <laughs> just,
0: I want to make ice <laughs> on the way there. It's what I want. Oh, uh, this was fun! It was fun, man. I love these stories.
1: Yeah, this is this is good times where we're barreling toward the the release and recording of Nevermind. Oh, and
0: that's a whole yeah thing
1: in and whole of itself. Thing. And uh, well, next week we're talking to Mark. Yarm, Yarm, not Mark, not, not Mark? Mark, not not Marky Arm, not Mark Arm, yeah, <laughs> Marky
0: Arm, yeah. Because when you look at his name yeah. on on Twitter, it looks like Marky Arm, and you're yeah. like, oh, is
1: that a is that the guy from Mud Honey? Yeah. Is it is that a is that a parody account? Yeah. Is that like Mark Wahlberg is Mark Arm. So uh, so we're not talking to Mark Arm, but if he's listening, hey, come on, come on, yeah. Uh, we're talking to Mark Yarm, who wrote a a book called Is it called an Oral History? I think it's the Oral of- History of Grunge, grunge yeah. right? Yeah. And I think we haven't confirmed, but I think we're going to talk about some of the biggest myths and misconceptions around Kurt Cobain and Nirvana and just the grunge. The scene in general. Yeah. In general. Sounds good. That'll be a fun episode. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, until then, we're going to get the fuck out of here. Do you have anything to plug, Travis? I am performing music. Uh, I'm
0: performing some Thin Lizzy songs with some other comedians. Sure. uh, On the 18th of uh, August in some bar. Okay. Uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter and I'll I'll tweet about it. <laughs> at uh, Mr. Travis Clark. That's me. Uh
1: come to our first uh unpop stand-up show at the Alex Theater in Glendale, August twenty-third. Doors open at seven thirty P. M. show starts at eight. We'll have Mo Mandel, Leah K. Janian, Quincy Johnson, Jeff May, Caitlin Cut, and I will be hosting. Nice. That will be damn fun times. Go to eventbrite.com and search for unpops. You can go there and reserve a spot. It's a free show, but space is limited. So if you reserve a spot, you know you'll get in, motherfuckers. Yeah, so motherfuckers. Maybe go do that and uh, come see us tell the jokes. And also uh, subscribe on Patreon. We said that at the top of the show. Yeah. But we're going to say it again. Because, because until it's important. It. Yeah, So you all do it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think that's it. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It was always fun. Yeah. Travis, say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you.